What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the uh, Run Your Mouth podcast. That's funny. At first, I was like, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna sit down. I just got back from a trail run. I uh, was out in the desert, sweating, frying out my legs. Maybe we'll uh, they'll be easier for the hotel. We'll do a seated episode, and then instantly, I just started swaying because that's the ADD for you. What am I actually gonna sit still for one of these? Maybe we'll maybe we'll keep a constant pace. You want to give me your money? You would like to sponsor the show. You'd like to make the next porch tour possible. Uh, all right, guys, dude, firstly, thank you for everyone that came out and supported porch tour. This was a pretty epic run. We did more cities than ever. Uh, also, it was great that we finished it out in Phoenix, Arizona. It was one of the best shows the entire tour. And uh, for next year, I'm going to have to figure out how to how to film these because I'd like to I'd like to piece them together. Maybe do like a half hour special next year with uh you know a montage of uh scenes from the porch and uh did I, by the end of this tour you know some of this material is really coming together so gonna have to figure out filming putting some of that stuff out coming out with a whole new half hour for next year exciting times coming i uh, i'm just gonna throw this out there because sometimes you know you, you got to put things into the universe and then uh people uh make it back so i just went trail running out in uh phoenix which was pretty great if I uh, if you're into the outdoorsy stuff, I'm out in your town, uh, particularly with Dave. Sometimes, you know, the whole thing we're we're at, we're at these strip malls and we ain't got cars. So uh, if you want to join my uh, my new favorite hobby, which is getting out in the world, seeing the sights and scenes, doing some trail running, trying to absorb a little bit of nature, getting out of your room. If you're into that kind of thing, I'm in your town. You got some wheels. You want to pick me up in the afternoon, be my trail running buddy while I'm in your town. Hit me up. Rob's newsroom at gmail.com. I will uh, take you up on genuine offers for uh, for rides to parks that we could run in. Uh, all right. So a couple, uh, travel gripes. Cause you know, this has been a pretty epic run. Here's and there's Europe's, uh, Vegas casinos, uh, now out in the desert of Tucson, Arizona, hold up in some cheap motel, regathering my strength before I go to San Diego. Uh, I do have some travel gripes cause that's what happens. You know, you're, you're here, you're there. Everyone's making you angry all the time. You take the notes of what, uh, what makes you angry. And then you scream about it on the podcast and you see if anyone agrees with you, but if there's one thing I've noticed in the U.S., and this, uh, I might have been doing exchange rates wrong the entire time. And once again, we're not going to be one of these people who just goes on and on about how things are better in Europe because that's ridiculous. I'm sure you spent a couple days there outside of the tourist streets. All of a sudden, you realize there are a bunch of fatsos crawling around this place. Sure, maybe just on the nice blocks. They're all just hiring actors to pretend like all of their food is cleaner so that you want to spend more money there and eat all their food and pretend like it's not going to kill you. But you get a couple street, you get a couple streets. Maybe they tell the local residents, hey, Fatso, you're not allowed on these streets. We got tourists coming through here. Maybe other countries just do a better job of hiding their problems. Uh, this was not true of Amsterdam where everything felt expensive. But when I was in Glasgow and uh, Belfast, it seemed like everything was pre-inflation pricing. It just felt like uh, coffee was what a coffee was supposed to cost. Like now, everywhere I go, everything feels like airport pricing. And airport pricing feels like five-star hotel. You should be polishing my shoes while you do it pricing. Does that kind of make sense to you guys? Like, you know, when I just walk into a typical store and you're buying like a, a water or a Gatorade, you're like, Jesus, this is this is what it's supposed to cost in a movie theater. And then if you actually go to a movie theater or like a ball game, you know, you're at a you're at a typical corner bar now and you're ordering a beer. And you're like eight bucks. What, what am I? Yankee Stadium. And then go to Yankee Stadium. See what a beer is. It's twenty two dollars and another student loan mortgage. Uh, so anyways, 
there was something odd when I was in both Glasgow and Belfast, and it could have just been I was doing the inflation rate math wrong the entire time, that it just felt like they weren't dealing with inflation in the same way. And now as I travel, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it feels like every company you interact with now is just a dirty carny. Everyone's some Jewish weasel carny gypsy character. Everyone's pulling tricks. You're never getting what you're paying for, you, you, you know? And then it's also like, uh, it almost uh, like starts ruining my self-esteem a little bit of like, did I not spend enough money to just be treated like a person? Uh, and so on that exact note, here's some, uh, I guess, some more particular gripes because I haven't quite put all of my, uh, like I haven't actually put my finger on it, but it just seems like every, we're, we're like at wars with corporations now just to get scraps. It's like, it's the end. We're, we're at the end here and now we're just fighting amongst ourselves for little scraps from the corporations who are trying to deliver as little value as possible so that they could just return a little mincely morsel to their shareholders because there's no value. There's no actual growth. All right. So here, here's some actual, uh, here's some actual specifics. Let's start with uh, car rental companies. What's the point of the reservation? If I'm checking in at a particular time and you're going to make me wait in an hour long line just to find out that I have the right to wait on another line for a car, why are we making reservations? Can, can someone from the car rental companies consult the restaurant people about how a reservation works? It's a pretty simple concept. You let people know when you're showing up, you reserve it, and then they have it for you. Why am I making a reservation if you're going to make me wait in two lines and you're not going to have the thing anyways? I'd also like to point out there's too much refilling of forms. Everything's the doctor office now where you just, can I just talk to the doctor? Hey, can you fill out this form? Can you talk to this lady who's going to consult with this person for the doctor to walk into the room and ask you the exact same question? Why am I online filling out forms, giving you all my information when I have to show up on the spot and fill out another form? And then here's like, it, it, it also seems like, I guess you can buy back your time. I, I've done a lot of traveling now. I'm a practically a traveling influencer guide. And so I can teach you about how to, you know, do things on a budget. Used to be Google maps was a great tool for finding your hotels. Now what I'm finding is the best option. And I used to be very anti the deal sites, but I've noticed that if you're booking a car, Priceline seems to have the best deals on car rentals. And then if you've booked a car on Priceline, you can get like 30 to 40% off on hotels. So if you're a discount shopper, it seems like Priceline, if you're both renting a car and renting a room, seems to be the best option. But you got to deal with all the bullshit. If you want to be a discount shopper, they treat you like a discount person. It feels like if you want to commit to the brands and just stop caring, like if you want to be in a committed relationship with Hertz, they won't make you wait on that line. You want to be a committed relationship with Delta, Holiday and Express, whatever your brand is. If you want to commit to them, they'll let you buy back some of your time. You're going to have to pay premium rates. You're going to have to be a member of their club. But then, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll, 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 a little bit less of the bullshit, the way things just should operate, they'll extend you that courtesy. If you'll extend the courtesy to them that you're not going to shop around and look at the pricing from the other individuals. But now, amidst the bullshit that just exists, if you're not buying back your time, if you're just out here trying to travel on a budget, scrape by on porch tour ticket sales just so you could make it to the next town and peddle your jokes, uh, I'm noticing that you almost have to call ahead to hotels 
just to find out how dumb is the hotel going to be. Like even simple things you wouldn't even think you'd have to worry about. Like, are your stairs going to be open? I've noticed online that you just have three stories here. Am I going to have to wait for the elevator every single time just to get to the second store? Second store story, the second, the, the second story of the hotel. And, uh, aside from waiting on your elevator, how often do you guys have to redo your Q, your, 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 uh, the, the room cards? Are they a constantly demagnetized thing? Because between waiting on your stairs, uh, waiting on your elevator and then coming up to the room and, uh, finding out that my key card doesn't work, you're really, uh, cock blocking my good dumps. You know, you know, when you miss that moment, when it's like, all right, you're ready to go. You show up to that hotel room. You, you had that thing. You were shaking your leg because you had to wait on the elevator. And then your, your key card doesn't work. You got to go back down. And now you realize, oh, how much time am I going to have to wait on this key card? So you just take a lobby dump when you could have taken a good room dump. These are the moments that are being ruined. You got to call ahead. You got to say, excuse me, sir. I just want to find out how well your key cards are working because I really don't want to have to shit in the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one is just finding out, excuse me, do you have a swimmable pool or did you guys just do like this small little box thing so that you could pretend like you had a pool online? Or did you go the other way where you just shove something on the rooftop for people to stand around and drink in? Cause they didn't have a, I guess enough places uh, to do it. All right. So uh, let's get into some news topics. Uh, before we do, I'm going to be in San Diego tomorrow. Uh, come out for those gigs Friday, Saturday, Sunday with Dave Smith. Uh, also, uh, looks like we're going to, I'm not doing another end of year, but we're going to have a date at the shell. I do have a lot of new material. Uh, I'd also like to put together maybe a Boston and a Worcester gig coming and going from there. I got some other dates coming up with, uh, with Dave Smith. I'd also like to get a Philadelphia. I haven't done Philadelphia in a while. And then, uh, we'll figure out next year. Want to stay home a little bit in January, February, and March to really kind of revamp, maybe get back to doing daily run your mouth podcasts uh, retool the studio a little bit, focus on that, build some new material and then porch tour bigger and better than ever. Maybe RV it, maybe just stay out on the road the entire summer, maybe try and, uh, sell a sponsor on getting a film crew, documenting the entire operation, doing more trail running, spending more time outdoors, but we'll see as things start to come together. And of course, by the way, really thank you everyone that actually showed up and bought tickets. You guys are awesome that you're willing to, uh, just show up to backyards on the nights that porch tour grooves it is uh it is really quite magical and it's fun to me to have a high concentration of people that really like uh what i do and then i can go uh into harsher territory on jokes i can get a lot more experimental than sometimes i feel comfortable doing in comedy clubs so hell yeah dude it was an absolute blast i i i, I got a glow to me after the arizona crowd was as good as it was uh, and so look forward to next year's porch tour. And of course, buy yourself some sheaths. Robert's out here supporting the show. Sheathunderwear.com. Use promo code RYM. You get the, yourself 20% off the greatest underwear that's ever graced the balls of man. Go load up, get it for holiday season. Let me tell you, I was just out there running the trails. There was no friction between my legs. There was nothing at all. It's like smooth butter. If you haven't experienced sheath underwear, you want to know what it's like, go get some smooth butter and just rub it between your legs and then just go back and forth, back and forth with your thighs and feel that smoothness of not even realize that you're chafing anymore. And if you can enjoy that incredible feeling of not even having to be concerned about something that terrorized your life for so long, such as the chafing of your legs, uh, it's a better life. 
Sheath on sheathunderwear.com. Use promo code RYM, 20% off the greatest underwear that's ever graced the balls of man. All right, we're going to go down a bit of a theology and God rabbit hole here because uh, I was out in Amsterdam, took some mushrooms. I was standing there on uh, – on uh what's that the red light district going oh my god this is a street in hell it's a demon district and then all you know that's what's funny everyone tells you oh yeah it's small you're gonna be micro dosing and then all of a sudden you're like no no this is a full dosing and i'm having all the god thoughts uh and then luckily there was some uh nice autistic lady who was willing to debate god with me so that was a good time and then louis j gomez the funniest person i've ever met piping in and just you know calling us a bunch of dumbasses and it was a good time uh and being very funny with it. Uh, but anyways, uh, I'm looking at some of this Israel stuff that's going on. And there's a storyline that I would love to have an expert on for this. Robsnewsroom at gmail.com. If you have someone that is an expert in this storyline, I would love to hear it. And uh, perhaps next week we're going to have Gary Richide uh, back on the show because uh, I was very uh, interested in the kings that have... Uh, lived in Europe over the years. I realized how uneducated I was in history. We we're standing in Amsterdam and someone said, that's the King's palace. And I was like, I didn't even know that Amsterdam had a King. And then I was just thinking, how do some of these people rise to power? Like, how does it happen? How does someone become King? I, I, most of them, I guess were born because their previous person was a King. And I guess someone probably conquered something. And then I was also very curious about bad war gambles. Like, you know, if the earlier English monarchs did a good job of, uh, going to war with people whose wealth they could plunder. And if there's ever a return on investment of war where it's profitable, but then somehow they got suckered into like the World War Ones and the World War Twos, which uh, were not profitable war investments. And then they uh, turned around and, you know, lost their empire, but they still got, you know, fancy buildings and their kids still get to leave the royal family to join Hollywood and bang Meghan Markle. So, you know, I guess that kingship, it's still, uh, it's, it's still, it's still thriving. That one, I'm sure there's some other ones that have totally dissipated and disappeared. But anyways, there's a particular funny storyline that I see kind of out in the ether that I'm curious to know, which is what is the Christian storyline of Israel? So I've heard it before that the evangelicals, they're the actual, like, you know, people talk about the Israel lobby and the Jews and uh, the, the treasonous nature of the Jews lobbying our government and sending all this money and resources over there. But then I've also heard that it's not even the Jews. It's more the evangelical Christians that for some reason believe, I don't even know, what is the hocus pocusy magic of Jesus coming back? I'm genuinely asking, like, what is the storyline? Like the next full moon, if enough Jews are standing in one spot, like what is the biblical Jesus narrative of the Jews? Like if we get all the Jews there, then all of a sudden Jesus comes back or they're just trying to shove the Jews and the Muslims in the same spots so that the two of them will kill each other. And then I guess the Christians will just have to go fight the Hindus. Like, what, is it capture the flag? They just have to hold the area long enough? Or is it they have to convince enough Jews to move over there and then if they force the rest of us to go over there, then Jesus comes back? Like, I'm genuinely asking, like, what is the storyline here? Because I see humorously they keep pointing to the new Speaker of the House and they're saying that... uh this guy's trying to bring on the World War III end of days thing because he believes that that's going to bring uh, a, a, about the Jesus round three. By, by the way, is Jesus round three even going to be a good round? Because the second round Jesus, what like first round Jesus, he stuck around for a little bit. I don't know. I don't know the storylines here, but second round Jesus sounds like it was a it was a bad round. So what are we? We're hoping for a good third round. Second round Jesus, it seemed like he came back from the dead, gave everyone a wave, and then went what? What he went back into the cave. People are like that's it. 
you came all the way back from being dead just to wave and let us know that you could do it. I don't know Christian gospel. Maybe Gary, I don't even know if Gary's a, a, a Christian person, but maybe he can, uh, maybe, maybe he can lay it on us. So uh, generally, like in a more, uh, I guess, bigger picture view, we're, we're going to go into theology here a little bit, not, not topic I usually like to talk about, but I feel like I got to give a religion a little bit of endorsement before uh, I bash some of what I'm seeing with the, uh, with the Israel stuff. Uh, I, I'm genuinely, I think, somewhat pro-religion, uh, which is because I grew up with a lot of it, and I don't really know what my moral compass would be without it, and I do think that I uh, acquired some good habits, uh, some good perspectives. I think that, uh, for the most part, it was good. I also, I guess, uh, and maybe you can call it OCD or whatever else, I don't really like bashing religion. I, I'm at least afraid of God enough that I'm like, you know, I, I guess if uh turns out you die and there's an afterlife, you got to meet the guy. I don't want to have been uh, shitting on religion or making fun of it. I feel like that's uh, at least my little deal with God is uh, I'll make fun of everything else except for that one, except even that I've broken that rule a little bit. Um, but I do somewhat think the, if I can give you the value proposition to, uh, and I, I'm not a hundred percent on this. I mean, you guys think I'm wishy-washy on things we're talking out loud here, but if I can give you somewhat the value proposition of, um, of a belief structure or maybe a religion or however you like to frame these things in your head, uh, for one, I just think it's, uh, good if you have a belief that you can draw on forces beyond yourself. I think that that opens you up to positivity and maybe it is just a mental trick. Maybe there's no value to it other than like in Bugs Bunny and when they had the uh, Mike's secret secret water that all of a sudden the Looney Tunes got their mojo back. Uh, It could be that there's nothing to it other than it's just good for the human condition. But I do think that there's probably some value in thinking that uh, even your own mental resources are not finite. And that there's uh, there's positivity in the world and forces beyond yourself that you might be able to draw from for strength. Does that all sound like hippie nonsense? Maybe, or maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can frame it however you want in your head. I'm just saying that I think for the human psychology, there's probably, and other people would argue, no, you're just believing in nonsense. But like, what are you replacing? What are you replacing it with? Do you find like, uh, I don't know if we really look at it or our typical atheists, uh, do you think like, I wonder if they ran happiness studies. Do you find that typical atheists are happier than the typical believer? So like, you know, your, your strict rationality of looking and saying, Hey, there's no evidence of this. Does that like, does that get you any further? Uh, I also think that if you really look at it, we all do have a belief structure. So a lot of people, they might go, Hey, I'm not interested in religion because I'm not interested in doing something based off of belief. But I think if you looked at it at your core, you probably have a belief in what I just call the concept of goodness, that you just think there's a there's a value of being nice to other people. You just think that there's for some reason, or maybe you see there's a value in achievement of your own personal achievement. Because like, if you don't even, if you don't like have a value of goodness, then I guess you just look at the world as a place for acquiring power or resources or whatever the hell else it is. But I'm just saying at the core of everyone's thought process is probably some sort of able, like, I don't think any of us are running our mental algorithms without some sort of core belief. 
And so once there's already decisions that are revolving around belief, like, you know, I, I, who are you or who am I to bash someone who wants to believe in God? Like, I, what's the concept of just goodness that I believe in? What is that? It's just, it's still, it's just a belief. So I make all my decisions around a belief. You make all your decisions around a belief. And then I was also thinking about this, and I think I'm going to get a joke out of this at some point. Um, but there's something to, like, I almost feel like scientists are like me when you show up and you didn't do your homework and everyone wants to know, so what are we doing on this planet? What are we doing on Earth? What are we doing here? How'd we end up here? Nothing spontaneously comes into existence. Everything's a reaction to something. So what's the initial reaction? And they just went, well, it was a big bang. And then that's it. What, we're just moving on? Okay, problem solved. Problem solved. Science came along. They said there was a big bang. Like, that's it? That's all That's all you guys got for us? The entire purpose of our existence, our meaning of being on Earth, whether or not there's a, a, a higher power, whether or not there's a realm of understanding beyond our own, and, and so I guess if you're an atheist, you're a person without any uh, uh, openness to the idea that there's powers or whatever above our reality or understanding, you're just left with, well, there was a big bang. We just all spontaneously came into existence. And your consciousness, this was the debate I was having with an intelligent individual out in Amsterdam. I, I would view it as, I guess it's just a genetic flaw because what value does it have? Um, whereas they were saying, why, why are you judging it? It's a, uh, characteristic of our evolution that we learn to be social creatures in order to survive. And as a result of us becoming social creatures, we developed consciousness, which to me, I would see the constant thinking of what am I doing on earth? Why the hell am I here that we all kind of live with? Um, I would see that then as a flaw because there's plenty of things that are surviving on earth without an awareness of their survival. Like I'm sure roaches, they're doing a pretty good job at surviving. New York City rats, they're doing a pretty good job at surviving. And what is that survival instinct? How does that just come into existence? Um, so, you know, I'm just saying I'm open to anything and I don't, I don't, I don't claim to have all the answers. Um, like I said, I think that the idea of, and I, I'm not even necessarily specifically even talking about God or religion. I'm just saying the openness to the idea of that, who the fuck knows, uh, and not being a staunch atheist kind of makes sense to me. Now, there's some flaws, though, particularly to uh, the thinking of biblical Judaism, which is going to bring me into kind of that I'd love to know what this cartoonish idea is of, uh, of I, I guess, the having wars in the name of trying to bring about the third coming of Christ, which please somebody email me robsnewsim at gmail.com. Cause I'm very curious as to what exactly that storyline is, but I look at the Adam and Eve story, which I'm sure is uh, fundamental to uh, Christianity as well. I don't know to what extent it's uh, even an element in the Islam story. I have no idea what other religions have as the origin story. I don't know. But I always looked at the uh, at the at the story, uh, and there was a element of determinism to me in that if God exists outside of time and He knows the ending of the game and He's structuring the game, isn't that Him saying that this is the conclusion that He wants? Let's simplify this a little bit. You got an Adam and Eve story, and He decides, hey, we're going to have this garden. We're going to have a tree in the middle. We're going to have a snake. 
We're going to have these apples. I'm going to tell this guy not to eat the apple. I'm going to have this snake trying to convince him to eat the apple. And then he sees it and God plays this through and he knows that the guy's going to eat the apple. Well, I guess if God wanted us to be in the garden to eat him forever, he probably could have changed some of the variables. He could have had the apples not look as good. He could have just gone, hey, the humans are going to sin. Let's not have the apples here. Hey, let's make the snake a little bit less clever. What I'm saying is it would seem to me that there's an element of determinism that God chose that that was the outcome that he wanted for whatever reason he wanted. Now, you might inverse this on me and say this is like a, just a different way of looking at can God create a rock so big that he can't lift it because then you're limiting God in either capacity. You know, the, 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 these are the theology logic games. And so maybe God, in deciding that humans would have free will, it's like a rock that uh, was so big, you know, that God decided to build a rock so big that he couldn't lift it. He decided he was going to give human beings free will and he was going to let that ride and he wasn't going to affect it. I don't know. To me, I can't get my head around the determinist aspect of that. He I mean, as far as the biblical story is, he created a pretty um, set circumstances. It seems like kind of a game. He set up a game. He knew the way that the players were going to play. He knew what the outcome was. And he liked that. He could have changed the variables. I would think, you know, maybe that all the scholars out there, you're welcome to come on. And uh, all right. So there's a further thing that I think is um, interesting about biblical um, biblical questions, or at least uh, my my thoughts in terms of the uh, uh you're getting, my, you're getting my Bible questions here, uh, is that there is a storyline in the Bible of the Jews coming to Israel and essentially taking over the land from the uh, inhabitants, and the inhabitants were idolaters, and so they needed to be killed in order for them to take over the land. Now, I would think if I was God and my little hippie peaceful brain, I would go, hey, I'm going to have these guys come here and plant a bunch of trees. It's going to be a vacant thing. And you guys are going to work the soil, and that's how you're going to earn the land. But for some reason, the uh, the, the the God of the Bible um, chose that there were going to be inhabitants in the place, and that the Jews were going to come to this place, and they were going to have to conquer it. Now, why is the relationship of acquiring the land of Israel, if this is a merciful, just God, or you'd have to argue is outside of our morality, but isn't it a little bit disturbing through a modern lens that the God of the, uh, the biblical God would want like the land to be acquired through, I guess, a blood sacrifice of the inhabiting nations that it needed to be earned by the Jewish people, but it was through conquering. And now you might go, that's a modern lens back in the day. That's the way that things were done. And so, you know, the same way that even sacrificing animals might not make sense to us. Cause that was a, that was a, man, we're really going into the weeds here on theology. I don't know if you guys find this interesting or not, but what the hell I'm calm. I went for a nice long run today. I'm probably dehydrated from the sun, took some mushrooms in Amsterdam. So we're, we're just, we're letting all these thoughts out. Um, man, I shouldn't have ADD right there. Cause I don't remember what, what I was about to say. Mm, give me a second here. I don't remember something to do with the with the bloodlust of uh, conquering the land of Israel and that being the decision of how God wanted the Jews to come to the land. There's another interesting storyline 
And I'm so far removed from having studied these things that I might have it wrong, but there was a tribe called Amalek. And this tribe called Amalek, it was, uh, was basically the enemy of the Jewish people. And Amalek, no matter what, wanted to destroy the Jewish people. Like it, it was a genetic disposition of the tribe of Amalek that they would want to kill the Jewish people. It's like God created a brand of human, and this brand of human was born just with the desire to kill the Jewish people. And so the Jewish people have an obligation to kill these individuals. And I believe, and now here's where, you know, my memory somewhat fails me because I'm like, that can't be true. But I think that there was even an obligation to kill the animals and children of this tribe. And in the instances where the Israelites of the Bible failed to do so, those children did exactly what their algorithm was. And they grew up to be adults and they tried to wipe out the Jewish people. And I believe that the uh, Perm story is one with the guy Haman, who is uh, from the tribe of Amalek, that I, maybe it was Solomon or someone else when he went and destroyed them, he left them. All right. So anyways, just to kind of go full circle here of uh, Bible questions, especially through a model, uh, a modern moral or a, a different lens, you have a God who for some reason wants a bloodlust in order to acquire land. There is not a peaceful means for establishing the relationship of the Jewish people living in Israel. And two, there's a tribe of people that will destroy you. And so you need to genocide them. And I guess it's because of the genetics of those people, the genetic flaw in those people that under all circumstances, they'd want to kill the Jews. They have to be genocided. So if you, I, I, I believe you know, robsnewsroom at gmail.com. Well, I'm happy to discuss this with uh, with religious scholars and whatnot, but I believe that if you're a uh, believer in the Bible, there is a storyline that includes a call for genocide based off of um, uh, genetics. Now, you might argue that I have this wrong, that Amalek is more of an idea. It's talking about uprooting people who are anti-Semitic, that uh, the Nazis, when they existed, they, they were there. Um, they would fall into that category. Uh, but anyways, uh, I guess the idea that I'm getting at is that some of these like biblical things were people pushing for these biblical storylines in a modern day and age just seems, you know, even if you're going to be pro-religion, uh, I would think that these are some tough questions to reckon with. And I'd be mostly curious if someone can please let me know what the Christian storyline is here of how of what they might be trying to do in terms of um, bringing, you know, I guess the, uh, Jesus, Jesus part three. So on that, we've got the new speaker of the house. And this was uh, an article from NBC in his first act. Speaker Mike Johnson uses Israel aid to pick a fight with Joe Biden. Uh, all right, so let's read a little bit of the fight that he's picking with Joe Biden. Um, and so here we go. Uh, I got to pull up this full screen. I understand that the priority is to bulk up the IRS, but I think if you put this to the American people and they weigh the two needs, I think they're going to stand with Israel and protecting the innocent over there is our national interest and is more immediate than the IRS agents, Johnson told Fox News. The White House pushed back, accusing Republicans of trying to help the wealthy and big corporations cheat on their taxes with a proposal that would grow the deficit. 
And by the way, just talk about being an excellent son of a bitch lawyer, because the best sons of bitches are the ones that like just do it with a smile. They seem calm. They seem like nice people. And they turn around and they just go, oh, look at, hey, pal, I got this leverage on you. Hey, listen, I'm trying to help you out, but I just want to know, I just want you to know that uh, I've got this information on you. And so if you don't kind of do what I want to do just to help you out here. And so here, this guy's figured out the one way that even I will go, yes, just send all the money over to Israel, which is if we don't send it to Israel, we're getting more IRS agents. Listen, it's one or the other. This money has been dedicated to government and either we can use it to hire more IRS agents that are going to come after you and, you know, make it that you have to spend more money so that we actually do have enough money to go to Israel, or we could just send it directly there. Uh, in which case, you know, we can avoid the whole IRS needing to shake you down problem. There you go. Talk about a good son of a bitch lawyer over there, you know, who figured out how to play the one card that even I'm like, yeah, send it over there. All right. Wait, wait. I, I think I had another piece on that. Um, Politicizing our national security interest is a non-starter, White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre said in a statement demanding offsets for meeting core national security needs of the United States, like supporting Israel and defending Ukraine from atrocities and Russian imperialism would be a break with the normal. All right. I, I guess that was all I had on that. All right. So now this is along the lines of remember I was telling you guys about that biblical storyline of the tribe of Amalek. Now, I got to get guys. We're doing the best I can on the road. I don't have a research team here. We're thinking out loud. And I know I would prefer also if everything I presented to you was absolutes and thoroughly researched in and out, validated and fact-checked. It's not. Robsnewsim at gmail.com. This might be taken grossly out of context. This might even be a bad translation. But here is Netanyahu. Uh, and let's give this a listen because uh, he might reference that exact tribe I just mentioned. We'll pause it there. And I'm sure that there's a appropriate answer of that. He's just referencing the idea of anti-Semitism and that it goes all the way back to the Bible of people that want to wipe us out. Um, but as you know, people that have complained quite a bit about trying to be targeted because of our genetics uh, or the idea that, you know, people might have thought, hey, any any Jews in here are going to take over your banking system and rob you of your money. So you got a Jewish question. I would try and stay as far away from a concept of, hey, there's a tribe of people based off of, you know, that are always going to want to kill us. And so therefore we have an obligation to kill them first. I would just think you would want to stick away from that. Oh, people are telling me no audio from this. All right. Give me a second. Let's. Uh... Oh, I know how to change that. Give me a second. We'll we'll replay it. We will replay it, my friends. Give me a second. Let's try it this way. All right, let's try and replay it. Um, honestly, it wasn't much other than him saying, remember, well, you know what? Uh, crap, I got all these screens here. Give me a second, everybody. 
you know what? While I pull this up, why not take this as an opportunity to plug yokratum.com, home of the $60 kilo, the only place in the entire world where you can get an entire kilo of kratom for just $60. Loyal supporters of the show, let me tell you, the financials of Porch Tort and otherwise would not be help would not be possible without the loyal support of yokratum.com. So thank you to them. If you're not a fan of Kratom, you can also go to their sister site, yodelta.com, and load up on some gummies or vape pens. You use promo code RYM, you get 20% off, and you let them know that I sent you there. All right, here we go. Let's try this again. Let me know if you guys can hear it. Oh, it's because it's still coming through my headphones. All right, we'll try this once more. And if not, it's really. Um, oh, this is the most backwards way to do it, but we can do it this way. This is the most low tech solution, but let's just do it this way and uh, appreciate the low techness of this. You ready? Even that, you didn't get it. All right, moving on. Whatever. You guys can go find uh run. Oh, this is great. This is great. I love this. Run your boomer mouth. Yeah. All right. Listen, we're out of studio. What can I tell you? It's different settings every time. What are you gonna do? Moving on. You guys can go find this uh video. It's uh all of a minute long. You know what? I'll make it easy for you guys. I'll put a link to this in the show notes. The show will be out shortly. You can click on it, it'll be labeled Netanyahu video one. Uh, I will, uh, it'll be stored in my Google drive and it will be, uh, it'll be nice and easy for you guys to find. There you go. Simple solutions, everybody. All right. Um, all right. So this was from the wall street journal. And I thought that this was somewhat, um, fascinating because, um, you know, the criticism, and I guess I'm largely working off of probably Scott Horton here. Um, but one of the big criticisms, I guess, specifically of Netanyahu, uh, and maybe even the state of Israel was that we seem to have done something that was similar to the U.S. in terms of, uh, you know, that there was a time in which we worked with Osama bin Laden. Or you look at a lot of the problems we have in the world. It's like the, the line right at the beginning of part of the problem. If you want to know who we're going to be fighting next. Oh, my God. I listen to this every single day and I'm going to mess up this quote. It's funny the way things get jumbled in my brain. Look, look at whoever we're funding right now. And uh, I remember there was a funny storyline in Syria where the uh, militia backed by the Pentagon was fighting with the militia being packed by the CIA. And if you just look at all the turmoil in the world, how much of it is downwind from just military gear that we've thrown out there, uh, people that we've worked with, funded, given given money to, given arms to. Uh, and then you get the other side of it, which is the Ron Paul blowback theory of, you know, if uh, if we're stirring up shit with these people, they're going to have resentments the same as we are. It's not a pathway towards peace to be aggressive towards these people. Uh, and so here is this was floated. I, I definitely saw it from Scott. I believe I saw it for some other people that Netanyahu is. Uh, at least partially responsible for the situation in Gaza and that he took a strategic approach of purposely empowering Hamas because if Hamas was there, 
Uh, well, all right. Let me uh, let me restart this one because we're kind of being all over the place. Let me just restart this. The criticism of Netanyahu is that the guy doesn't actually want peace. He doesn't want. In fact, he would like to be in a situation where he doesn't have to work with these people at all. And the easiest way to do that is to being able to roll them all into uh, working with harboring or supporting terrorists. And so in order to create the framework by which, hey, these aren't innocent civilians over there, they don't, they've have not voted for a legitimate government. They're all over there and they hate us. Um, he might have taken a strategic approach of empowering Hamas so that hope basically in hope of destabilizing the area, having the people in the area support the terrorist institution and then go, look, all these people support terrorists. Clearly, I can't work with them. They all support terrorists. And so I would say that this was a fairly fringe theory or it was not in the mainstream media. And I'm not saying that everything that Scott Horton says is not 100% accurate. It's probably the best and smartest take, the most research take. And that's why it's so fun when he gets there and he get, is able to debate someone. Um, but when you start even seeing this in the Wall Street Journal, then it's hard to, you know, people really have to kind of contend with it because it's out in the open. So this was literally, this was Wall Street Journal yesterday. It was an article about uh, Netanyahu and the... Uh, troubles that he might be facing in the country. And uh, Hamas calculation. Netanyahu first became prime minister in 1996, serving only one term before winning re-election in 2009 on a mandate to tackle security challenges and the economy. Hamas two years earlier had wrested control of Gaza from the internationally recognized Palestinian Authority, and Netanyahu was presented with the challenge of managing what Israel considered a terrorist organization in its own backyard. In opposition, Netanyahu had warned publicly that Gaza would become Hamastan under the direction of Iran, but when he became prime minister, he chose not to go into the Palestinian enclave with soldiers to disarm the group. While some members of Israeli's security establishment pushed to demilitarize Hamas, Netanyahu opted to follow a strategy of allowing Hamas to govern in Gaza and remain armed while attempting to deter it from violence, according to Uzi Arad, Israel National Security Advisor under Netanyahu from 2009 to 2011. The policy continued even as Israel fought tit-for-tat conflicts with Hamas and Gaza. In the biggest flare-up between the two sides in 2014, Israel sent troops into Gaza to destroy a tunnel network created by Hamas to attack Israel, but the government refrained from a broader uh, ground offensive to take down the group. The security established largely backed the policy to contain Hamas, but Netanyahu was also willing to allow Hamas to arm and rule Gaza, Israel political experts said, because it divided the Palestinian leadership between the Strip and the West Bank controlled by the Palestinian Authority. All right. So in fairness to Netanyahu, this is not really saying that he purposely, uh, I guess, in I, I was reading that into it. It's not saying that he purposely empowered them as much as maybe he just made strategic blunders of not being aggressive in earlier junks of time, which at least according to the journal here might have been easier. Uh, but I venture to guess that it's more of what I guess you can call the conspiracy theory that he purposely uh, wanted Hamas as it was uh, as it created a framework by which he did not need to negotiate or try and make accommodations for the area. All right, let's just continue. That made a peace deal in which Israel was forced.
you see, you start reading the real shit and your internet starts flaking out. For everyone who's listening, because I will not be editing that later, uh, you know, we might we might have some pauses here because I forgot to record locally. Um, all right, so let's just go back. I want to I want to just read this next part. Security officials constantly spoke of the need to strengthen the more moderate Palestinian Authority, strengthen them at the expense of Hamas, said Yohan Plesner, a president of the Israel Democracy Institute, a Jerusalem-based think tank. But he said Netanyahu saw it as a quite as a desirable outcome to have two separate political entities representing the Palestinian people. In public statements, Netanyahu has said the Palestinian Authority, led by President Mohammed Abbas, can't be a partner for peace because while it recognizes Israel, it doesn't recognize Israel as the home for the Jewish people and hasn't engaged constructively in peace negotiations. Palestinian leadership says Netanyahu adds conditions aimed at obstructing peace negotiations. Starting in 2019, Netanyahu appeared more focused on repeated rounds of elections and tackling Hamas. No Israeli political party could get enough votes to dominate parliament, leading to a years-long stalemate. Okay, uh, enough of that. I do want to play this one video from the Jordan King. I didn't even know Jordan had a king. I don't know anything about this guy. Oh, it's not going to play anyways. He was basically uh, just speaking out against... Uh, collective uh punishment and that anytime that you have collective punishment or the targeting of civilians that is a war crime and everyone should be against it which brings me to this recent uh incident that took place in i believe dagestan where a pro-palestinian mob this is from the new york post forced flight from israel to russia to be diverted and target next airport were landed too um and so i've been of the approach that Israel acting uh, like I, I've even put it in their terms. We live in a new world with social media. I don't think they're going to be able to hold people from seeing this. Like two years ago, how often were you hearing about Gaza? You'd have to be listening to a Scott Horton show to hear about how it's an open air prison. There wasn't much coverage of it. I know the Internet. I kind of know media. And I'm like, I'm watching what you guys are doing. You're clearly being aggressive. You're clearly blowing up buildings. There's clearly civilian casualties. I don't think you're going to keep a wraps on the story. And not only do I not think you're going to keep a wraps on the story, I don't think it's a convincing thing of, hey, we told these people that you're human shields and now we have a right to kill them. I don't, fi- I don't buy that as a very convincing argument. And I look at this and I go, I think this will lead to anti-Semitism. And then, of course, they go the other way with it and they go, uh, they make one of two claims. One is that it's that people are anti-Semitic and this is the exact reason why we need Israel and Israel to be so aggressive, which totally just kind of skirts the idea that people might be anti-Israel or become anti-Semitic because of the actions being like actually taking place, which are aggressive in my opinion. Uh, And so the the flip side of it is that they try and take a racist stance, which is like, no, uh, I guess Muslims uh, our, our, our natural enemy. We've just allowed them into all these countries. They're pretending to be peaceful and just wait till they have power. And so Israel's on the front lines, but how is that a livable approach to life? And, and maybe when I say, how is that a livable, you go, well, you're not contending with reality. I don't see any proof of it. And I don't see how through a modern lens, that's not some element of racism or genocide. And, uh, I, you know, in my personal life, I've never, I've never dealt with a Muslim who wasn't a nice person. I've never had an issue, not once. And so I look at this and the aggressiveness and I go, guys, I don't think the optics on this look good for you. I don't think it's a win for Israel. I don't think it's a win for, for Jews in general. 
All right. I think I had one more topic. Uh, oh yeah. We'll just do it with a couple, a couple. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. We can close this out with, uh, with a little bit of humor. We've got like, uh, another couple minutes on the show before we get into this topic, premierpharma.com, everybody, another new and loyal sponsor of the run your mouth podcast. I think they're going to be on board for all of next year, really back in the program. So if you know, independent doctor's offices, you got an in at a hospital, you know, people premierpharma.com they're there. They're trying to make sure that you can get generics for a lot cheaper than going through the pharmacies and your doctor's office can even make more cash. You can start filling prescriptions right on the spot with cheaper generics for your patients. So you got a doctor's office, an independent pharmacy, hospital, big institution. Go reach out to the people at premierpharma.com because it uh, um, might be a good fit. You might be able to, to make some money off the spread of cutting out the middleman of the CVS and the people with the big coupons coming back into their wallets. And uh, you can get your uh, patients, cheaper generic drugs. Win for everybody, premierpharma.com. All right, everybody's giving shit for DeSantis over the shoes. And as a short guy, can we take that? Can we take this guy down for something other than just being short? Really, that's what we're going to turn this into. Uh, the, the guys out there pushing deep state war hawkery, torturing people down in Gitmo. And, and the thing that everyone's going to be outraged about is just the fact that he's a little bit short. That's what we're going to disqualify him for is shortness. Of all the things that we could take down the guy for, we're going to criticize him. Why does Tom Cruise get a pass? You know, I, I, I guess he just, I think it's just how ugly his boots are. I think that's what we're offended by. It's almost like Dorothy from Wizard of the Oz or, you know, just height lift, just, but do it a little bit more casually, buddy. You're, you're ruining it for all the short people. You're not even that short. I think you got like three or four inches on me. You got a hot wife, your governor, you won the COVID thing. Just, just, just own it and be short. What are you doing? You're stocky. You got those big, broad shoulders. You're not an ugly fellow. Don't, don't hide the shirt. You, you, you're making all of us short people look bad and, and shame on the entire population that this is the thing that they're going to give him shit for. Of all the things you can give the guy shit for, you're going to give him shit for being short. But don't hide it. That's also on you. Just don't hide it. And then here's some positive news. Um, is uh, just make sure to be boning more. If you're out there, you got a wife, you got a girlfriend, you're working the Tinders. Because apparently they've discovered that Viagra can um, delay Alzheimer's. And I don't think it's the Viagra. I think it's just that if you're boning, you still got a reason to live. This is from the New York Post. Here, why don't I read it? Because I didn't, I didn't read it. Everyone doesn't know what I'm talking about. Viagra could cut the risk of Alzheimer's disease by 60%. I don't think it's the Viagra. Yeah, you could tell me it's the blood flow. It's a, that, That's what you need. If, if Everyone, make sure to take... I think it's just, guys, get out there. Get some more action. It'll keep you youthful. All right, I want to play... Uh, actually, I don't need to play this, but this was Scott Galloway. It was a one-minute clip where he was calling for COVID amnesty... Once again, we talked about this on the part of the Prom podcast recorded yesterday. It's probably already up on Gas Digital, promo code POTP for advanced access, probably up on YouTube tomorrow. Um, but I just want to state this. I'm not forgiving anyone because you know what happened here? You were busted shilling for the regime. The regime was lying. You had enough of a stake and interest in current structures and working at your college and being the elites or whatever, whatever else. You sold your academia down the drain. Maybe I'm not saying that clearly enough. You're an academic. You're a smart person. You had all the tools to not just confirm the lies of Fauci and government profits. And you put your stamp of approval on it because it was more convenient. You had all the tools. Government was absolutely lying. 
And you had all the tools to realize that. I'm assuming that this is a smart guy. He's working over at NYU. And for some reason, you put your stamp of approval on all the nonsense, which even idiots like me could see through. You're not forgiven. You were shilling because it was convenient. You knew. And if you didn't know, it's because you just didn't want to read. You didn't want to really use your brain. You didn't want to actually do your homework because it was just more convenient to shill for the regime. And that's what you did. No forgiveness. Court, 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 uh, court, court concluded. Man, I started quite a bit on that one. All right. Here's some quicks, quick topics. Um, they ended the auto union and I'm betting that there will be a storyline coming shortly of major league bailouts for all of these companies. I bet that was even the back end deal of Biden going, Hey, listen, I'll get a next next term. Cause I'm going to re-reg the election. And then we'll send you all this money because we know that you're not making any money off the EV vehicles. I'm just, uh, I'm throwing it out there now. Bold prediction based off of nothing, but I feel like there's probably going to have to be some big bailouts for uh, green energy initiatives, not working or intense regulation to force us all to be going to buy these vehicles or credits or some, some other scheme. In the same way, there was some storyline in California of them killing the self-driving cars, which it's pretty creepy. I've seen self-driving cars. I'm out here in Arizona. I've passed two of vehicles with no driver in them. I mean, you want to talk about innovation. You want to talk about something that will actually move cars is, hey, you can get into this thing drunk. Be your own Uber driver. This thing drives itself. That's like that. That's living in the future right there. And you just wonder, like, U.S. companies becoming profitable or, you know, in 20 or 30 years being profitable, if you're killing their ability to innovate and forcing them into uh, less profitable or less lucrative um, technologies. Now, there was another interesting thing. We will close out the show with this, which is uh, government doing AI regulation. This was from the Wall Street Journal that uh, Biden has used uh, some sort of uh, um, like wartime North Korea authority to assert oversight over AI symptoms, uh, systems. Let's give this a, a bit of a read, um, you know, and then I'll tell you a couple things about it. We'll move on with our lives. Washington, the Biden administration invoked emergency federal powers to assert oversight over powerful new artificial intelligence systems, part of a new executive order aimed at remaining, uh, reigning in the risks of the disruptive technology. President Biden Monday signed an order invoking the Korea War Era Defense Production Act to compel major AI companies to notify the government when developing any systems that possess a serious risk to national security, national economic security, or national public health and safety, according to a White House fact sheet. Let's just pause there. Sounds to me like anything that might, does Bitcoin pose national economic security? I guess so. It challenges the dominance of the U.S. dollar. If I create another an, another uh, financial asset that people want to pour out of American bonds because uh, I got higher returns or something, are you going to have to put an end to that? Or um, AI systems that threaten the public health and safety. Let's say someone creates an AI system that's so much better at doctors at figuring out early stages of disease that it gets in the way of pharmaceutical profits or gets in the way of, uh, you know, some other thing that Pfizer's trying to sell you, is that going to be in the name? It's not going to introduce anything. And the name, government's going to step in in the name of health and safety. We all know what this is. It's an ability to make sure that current players don't have to compete with new people that might figure out things that create value for us. 
Let's continue. Administration officials describe the measures of the strongest yet taken globally to ensure the safety of AI systems stepping into what they see as regulatory vacuum over technology that could lead to job losses, privacy invasions, or other harms. Job losses. It's like, hey, these robots might lead to job losses or wealth creation in new and different jobs that actually create value for people. Every single time they step in, it was like what they were doing with the net neutrality, pretending like we're all going to, it's like, you've got a new and exciting technology. Every new and exciting technology comes with risks. Nuclear power came with the risks of nuclear war. But you know, if every single time there's some new thing that could be great and it instantly gets regulated before entrepreneurs can come in and explore the technology and possibly disrupt current, uh, current things for development. This is the basis of, if you've never read it, read it, why nations fail. It was a good book. It was one of the early books I read when I was interested in uh, Liberty. And I was interested in that particular question. And you find out that the biggest marker of success or failure or wealth expansion for, for, for people is whether or not a government will stay out of the way. If a government won't allow people to innovate and create new technology because they want to protect current industries. That is the greatest hindrance to wealth creation. And so their examples, I think, were with spinning wheels, uh, disrupting tailors. Every single time you get some new, new technology that creates overwhelming wealth, it's always at the expense of some protected individuals like, I don't know if there was a great online platform tomorrow that got rid of uh, all real estate brokers. That sucks for real estate brokers. They're about to lose some major court cases, which is why that's top of mind uh, of basically colluding on commissions. I got friends who are real estate brokers. I'm all for, I'm a sales guy myself. I'm all for being out there and making your money. But if there's a way for every single person, well, I guess the five or 6% people saving their homes would probably just get absorbed by something else. So, you know what? We're closing out the show with a bad example, but dude, I went 58 minutes of some pretty good focus over here. Went for a run. I'd had some coffee. Maybe, maybe I got to start sitting down and being calmer for episodes. I don't prefer that. I don't know if you guys do. Uh, all right, guys, that is the show. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, more tour dates coming soon. Excited to be in San Diego this weekend. Thank you once again to everyone that came out and supported Porch Tour. This was uh, an epic run. It was really a lot of fun and uh, looking forward to putting together next year's, which will be just around the corner after a little winter hibernation of, uh, you know, eating some cake and putting back on some LBs. Catch you guys later. Enjoy your day. Peace.